Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So thankful that you're joining us today on the broadcast. Well, over the next couple of days, I want to talk to you on the subject of why is it so hard to obey God? Have you ever noticed that in your life? Uh, it seems like it's difficult to obey God 24-7. Now, we have times where it's easier to obey than others, but I think as we look at the subject of why is it so hard to obey God, I think we find some insight in John chapter 14. But before we go there, Pastor Andrew Wilson wrote an article in an issue of Christianity Today magazine, wrote these words. He said, now, now most of us pray the Lord's Prayer backwards. He says, a few years ago, my wife and I were on a a New Zealand flight that felt like the sky was falling. And as they were approaching the Queenstown Airport, we were caught in a giant wind tunnel. The plane was shuddering and sporadically dropping 50 feet at a time. The cabin was filled with with shrieking and praying and, and many people were crying out to God in whom they did not even believe. Uh, Just as there are no atheists in foxholes, there certainly aren't very many atheists on buffeted flights. Well, 30 minutes later, after landing safely, these group of strangers waited at the baggage claim area, looking awkwardly at each other. No doubt many of them felt silly. The content of those prayers were fascinating. He said, I suspect it reflects the way many of us intuitively pray. The most common petition that I heard on that flight was some variant of deliver us from evil, or help, or save us, and oh God, please don't let me die. Crisis prompt cries of deliverance, with the immediate need for safety drowning out all other concerns. On the other hand, he said, I heard a prayer that was infrequently given. And the prayer was, forgive us of our sins, in some form or another. I'm sorry, God. God, please forgive me. You see, people want to be at peace with God when they die. So after crying out for rescue, they apologized as they prepared to meet their maker. After these sorts of petitions, most of us pray, please. This is probably the most frequent type of prayer we utter. God, please give me this job. God, please fix my marriage. God, please keep my children safe. God, provide for my family. Or or more traditionally, God, give us this day our daily bread. Life comes first, then forgiveness, and then physical provision. You see, left to our own devices, we pray the Lord's Prayer backwards. Without being taught, we say help, then sorry, and then please do fill in the blank for me, and then please do another fill in the blank for others. And then we begin to appreciate more fully the one to whom we are praying, not just as the one who dispenses safety and redemption and material goods, but for his own sake. Yet Jesus taught us to pray it forward. The tipsy-turvy order of the Lord's Prayer is one of the reasons that it is so remarkable. Jesus wanted to make sure that the disciples and and that we never forget that prayer is not intended to move from action to relationship. Instead, prayer is intended to move from relationship to action. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, 
So forget your formulas, uh, forget your intercessory cards for a moment, and begin praying with one of the most basic words in a child's vocabulary. You are God's child, and He is your Father. Start there, and the rest will flow. Well, today I want to talk to you about why is it so hard to obey God? Maybe the beginning point would be that we struggle even knowing how to pray. Uh, So Jesus talked about how to pray, and then we get very specific as we look at this matter of why is it so difficult to obey God. Before we get there, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we have a setting in which a blessing is on one hand and a curse is on the other. And so Moses is writing and says, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Now, here's a blessing. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, there'll be a blessing. There'll be a curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from that which I have commanded you today by following other gods which you have not known. So there's a choice here. And obviously, the right choice is to obey God so that you are a benefactor of his blessings. We find freedom as we obey God. Uh, We find liberty as we obey God. James says that whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Well, what gives God the right to tell me how I should live my life and why do I have to obey? Well, one French philosopher said this, there will be no freedom until the last king and the last priest is killed. So in his thinking, everybody does have rules about what is right and wrong and a sense of obligation. It's not just Christians. It's all people who work off a set of rules. But in his mindset, the priest and the kings were the ones that were ruining life for us. You see, if you have children, you understand how important rules are in maintaining order and peace in your life. So I want to talk to you today about why is it so hard to obey? I mean, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. It seems like it's easy to say, I love you, Lord, but it's much harder to keep his commands. Well, let's explore this subject of why is it so hard to obey the commands of God. Number one is because our love can be very fickle. As a matter of fact, we tend to measure our love by the love of others. In other words, if somebody loves us, we feel loved. Uh, That's kind of backwards because our love should not be that fickle. Our love should not be based upon the love that somebody else has for us. As a matter of fact, 1 John 4.12 says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made perfect in us. You see, we are commanded here to love others. And as we love others, it proves that God lives in us. It's proving that God's love is made perfect in us. It's proving that we actually love God as we love others. Now, Peter was audacious when he says, though you have not seen him, referring to Christ, you love him. Though you now do not see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see, it's hard to obey because our love tends to be very fickle. We are told that we should love everyone. It's our duty. Uh, Regardless of what they have done, we are told that we should love everybody. 
And that's difficult, right? That unconditional love. The gospel is grace-driven, and it draws his pride out of us. We all know that we need salvation. God created us, and, and he's giving us instructions according to his design. And, and violating that design is, is very hurtful, but yet we violate it anyway. For example, sex is designed for one man and one woman in the confines of marriage. This is design that God has for us. Then why do we violate that law? We think we're being held back, so we violate it, and then we feel guilt. You see, outside of the faith, it is hard to understand unless you have a relationship with the Lord. Because when you look at religion, religion says obey the rules and you get something from God. And then you also feel pretty good about yourself. Okay, that's what religion does. Christianity, on the other hand, says I'm accepted by grace. Because I am loved and accepted, I obey the rules. I'm accepted because of Jesus, therefore I obey the rules out of gratitude. Rules are not the center. I am not who I am because of the rules I obey. I'm who I am because of what Jesus has made me. For example, a parent loves his child versus a love of a friend. God is usually called a father. Occasionally, he's called a friend. Now, maybe a better way to even look at this on a deeper level is by looking at the book of Hosea. I was talking to a man not too long ago when he was so concerned about his marriage and so concerned about the relationship with his wife and, and, and really felt like he was carrying the burden of that marriage and, and basically was at the point where he felt like, I'm doing everything in his marriage and, and she's doing nothing to keep this marriage together. And so I asked him, have you ever read the book of Hosea? And he kind of looked at me sideways and says, well, no, I've never read the book of Hosea. Now, now maybe you're listening to me today and, and you're in that same situation. You say, I'm in this marriage, and I'm doing everything, and and my spouse is doing nothing. Well, let me encourage you to read the book of Hosea. You know, in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Hosea, God gives Hosea instructions to marry an unfaithful woman, and Hosea obeys. His unfaithful wife, Gomar, leaves him and finds another man. Hosea is faithful. He finds her redeems her, and brings her back home to him. As we look at this, we see in Hosea 3.3 that Hosea said to her, You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so I will also be towards you. In other words, you're to be faithful to me, and I'll be faithful to you. Your life as a harlot is over. I have bought you out of slavery. You now belong to me. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's a fascinating but terrifying few chapters within the Bible because God is giving a picture of how Israel is with God. God has been faithful to them. God has given them everything they needed, but they kept cheating on God. Uh, They got to the point where they were so unfaithful to God, they engaged with other idols, and, and they lost everything. And even after losing everything, they didn't come to their senses, and they find themselves in bondage enslaved because of their sin. And God goes and buys them out of the slave market. When nobody else wanted them, God says, I'll have you, and I will pay your purchase price. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Hosea. In chapters 4 through 15, Hosea describes how Israel has been unfaithful to God, but God wants Israel to repent and turn from their wickedness. He wants to restore Israel. However, they continue to disobey and have their own ways. Hosea 4.6 says, 
My people have been destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of God, I also will forget your children. You see, Hosea's poignant words probe Israel's fickle love for God. He says, your love is like a a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away quickly. That kind of love Hosea desired for his people to have was the kind of love that God displayed to them, namely that steadfast love. You see, we struggle to obey because we tend to be fickle with our love for God. As I think about how easy it is to get off track, think about a marriage, right? Oh, I remember the day I got married, my wife coming down that aisle, and and I says, I cannot understand how somebody that beautiful would want to spend her life with me. And through the years, that love has grown, but there were times, and there have been times, where that fickleness would inflict me. We say, do I really love her? Do I really love her? Is this really the right thing that I've done with my life? And I have these seasons of doubt. I've discovered that to sustain that love, I can't be fickle. I've got to look at God's love for me, His unconditional love for me. I'm so glad that God loves me even when I'm at my worst. He's never given up on me. He's never turned His back on me. And if God, who is perfect, can love me who is far from perfect, How much more can I love my wife, me being imperfect, and she being imperfect? Listen, if two imperfect people can love each other, God can bring about a marriage that is made in heaven. What we said, the first reason it's so difficult for us to obey is because our love can be so fickle. Here's the second reason why it is difficult sometimes to obey is because our thinking can be faulty. Now, I know you find this hard to believe, right? Uh, Every thought that we have is not a legitimate thought. Uh, Sometimes we have faulty thinking. Uh, This is how Peter put it in 2 Peter 1, verse 11. And you will be given a very great welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know these things, and you are very strong in the truth, but I will always help you to remember them. I think it is right for me to help you to remember as long as I am in this body. So what is the exhortation here? The challenge here is that we tend to forget. Our thinking tends to get faulty. For example, on the subject of freedom. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. It is the presence of the right kind of restrictions. When we feel like somebody's holding out on us or we feel like we're being restricted, we are only looking at one side of the equation. Now, the laws of Scripture are not there to limit us or to oppress us, but the laws of Scripture are actually blueprints on how to unleash our full potential. It's like the owner's manual to your car. You know, there's so many things about my new car that I don't even know about because I haven't taken the time to read the owner's manual. And every once in a while, I discover something new about my car. Uh, We were recently blessed to take a trip uh, up to the Smoky Mountains and and to celebrate our church's 25th anniversary. Uh, The leaders of the church decided to send me and my family away for a week. And so we went up to Gatlinburg, had a wonderful time, and I found a new thing about my car that I didn't know. And I kind of swerved into this feature that this car has that I never knew it had. 
And it has this ability when you're in, in hilly country that it will automatically downshift your vehicle without you having to downshift it. And it helps to charge the battery. But at the same time, it helps you to slow down your vehicle when you're in a hilly country. I, I never knew it had that feature until I started driving in a hilly country because here in the Hampton Roads area, it's flat as a pancake. So I had that feature on my car all the time. Didn't know I had it. And thankfully, it worked when I needed it. Now, if I had just read the owner's manual, I would realize I had that extra benefit in that car. You know, every community, every organization has restrictions and beliefs that are practiced in common. And they're designed to accomplish the goals of that community. You see, God gives us this thing called the spirit of truth to help us, to assist us in seeing him. We were promised that we're not going to be left as orphans. Uh, We're not going to be left out there unrestrained, without a home. We are brought into the family of God. So instead of having faulty thoughts, let us think according to the Word of God. In the book, The Kingdom of Ice, there's a journalist who gives a compelling account of a failed 19th century polar expedition of the USS Jeannette. That was captained by Lieutenant George DeLong. And it serves as a very important tale about the hazards of being misoriented, the hazards of faulty maps or the hazards of faulty thinking. You see, they got in trouble with this voyage, not because of a faulty compass, but because of a faulty and a mistaken map. You see, Lieutenant DeLong and his expedition rested on a picture of the unknown. They were going to the North Pole, and as they're going out into the North Pole, they're navigating through a very difficult area. There is a thermometric gateway that is opening up into the Polar Sea, and they had to follow it closely, but unfortunately, the map that they were following was not accurate. It turned out that as they were heading to the North Pole, They were going on a route that actually didn't exist because they were looking at a map that was faulty. Their trip, their expedition, quickly turned into a time of panic. Instead of going through a route that would avoid it all of the ice glaciers, they found themselves stuck in the Arctic. You know, I think about our culture. Our culture often sells us these crazy, faulty maps of what the good life is all about, and they paint these really alluring pictures that draw us toward them. You know, I think about all the beer commercials that you see on television and how they show a young and vibrant and wealthy and enjoying people, but they don't show the ravages of alcohol. They don't show the drunk in the gutter throwing up and, and, and being left alone and losing everything because of alcoholism. They only paint one side of the picture. You see, the Word of God, when it dwells richly within us, it helps us to formulate our thoughts in the way that we should think about life. You see, it's so hard to obey God because oftentimes our our love is fickle. It's so hard to obey God because not only is our love fickle, but our, our thoughts can be faulty. Number three, it's difficult to obey God because our fears can be fatal. In Psalm 46, we learn that 
God is a refuge and a strength. He is our ever-present help in trouble. The psalmist says, because of that, I'm not going to be afraid. Though the earth give way and though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, I will not fear. As I was putting this message together, I discovered what the top 10 things are in our lives that we fear. And here they are. Number one, failure. Number two, death. Number three, rejection. Number four, ridicule. Number five, loneliness. Number six, misery. Number seven, disappointment. Number eight, pain. Number nine, the unknown. And then number 10, losing our freedom. All these fears that we have in our lives. As we think about overcoming these fears, when we overcome these fears, we're living a life of faith. Faith is the absence of fear. Fear is false evidence that appears real. When Jesus was gathering his disciples together one day, he says, you're going to realize one day that as you keep my commands, it's because you love me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them, and they shall no longer have fear. Dion Moody and his son Will boarded an ocean liner called the Spree in Southampton, England, on November 23, 1892. Now, Moody had just finished revival meetings in London, and including eight days of services in the Spurgeon Tabernacle. And he was bound for New York. You know, foremost in his mind, besides seeing his family and his students again, was the great campaign that he was planning for the Chicago World's Exposition the following year. On the third morning of the trip, the passengers were startled by a very loud crash and a shock throughout the ship. Will hurried out to the deck. He quickly returned to say that the shaft of the vessel was broken. The ship is sinking, Father, he said. The disabled ship, carrying hundreds of passengers, drifted hopelessly away from the sea lanes. The vessel was taking on so much water that its pumps were useless. The crew prepared lifeboats and provisions, but they realized that the small boats would be soon perishing in the rough seas. So they mustered passengers into a a main saloon and waited, hoping to be discovered by a passing vessel. On the second evening of their torturous wait, Moody led a prayer service that calmed many of the passengers, including himself. Although he was sure of heaven, the thought of his work ending and, and never again seeing his family unsettled him. One biographer includes another angle to the incident. Prior to the trip, a doctor had found irregularities in Moody's heart and urged him to ease his schedule. If Moody did not, he would die early. Moody determined to slow down and, and while sailing homeward, decided to scale down his plans for the World's Fair campaign. During the crisis at sea, however, Moody perceived that God confronted him with a decision. Would Moody press on all of his might to deliver the gospel, or would he be cautious, allowing fear to diminish his fervor? 
Facing death, Moody decided that if God would spare his life, he would work with all the power he would give him. And if he should die this year or next, that was in God's hand. The following morning, however, the steamer Lake Huron discovered the stranded ship and towed it 1,000 miles to safety. D.L. Moody pressed on with his World's Fair campaign, six months of unceasing labor from which, in Moody's estimate, millions heard the simple gospel, and thousands were genuinely converted to Christ. Moody died in the midst of his work seven years later. I want you to know that we fear so many things. As you think about life, it is appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. God already knows exactly your last day here on this earth. We don't know what it is, and I'm kind of thankful that we don't, but God does. We are to work until he calls us home. We're to be faithful in spite of fears. Oh, it's hard to obey because our love is fickle. It's hard to obey because our thoughts are sometimes faulty. It's hard to obey because fears can be fatal. But I want you to know that our hope is on Christ. Join me tomorrow as we continue on this subject of why it is so difficult to obey our God. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.